Quick, come up with something funny to say. Hello? Yo. Fort! Oh, that's really cool. Somehow I think you're lying. Uh-huh. Oh, fail. Oh. Bad Philosophy, episode 48. Recorded on October 11th, 2009. Full of Wintegrity. Hello, everyone. Welcome in. One, two, bad philosophy, upsetting the balance of reality one rabbit trail at a time. We're here for episode 48, and we have someone on the show once again for the second week in a row who has never been on bad philosophy before. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce to you Texas Tech philosophy professor, Dr. Howard Kurzer. Dr. Kurzer, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, since this is your first time on Bad Philosophy. Um, who are you and what do you do? And why should we care? <laughs> well, uh, I'm a faculty member in the philosophy department here. Uh, I specialize in ancient philosophy, particularly Aristotle. Mm-hmm. Um, the part of ancient philosophy that I'm most interested in is ethics. Uh, I've got a book manuscript on Aristotle that's um, sitting at the publisher at the moment. But I do other things as well. I do um, Confucian philosophy, wildlife philosophy. I'm working on a uh, way of trying to assess moral development. So uh, I have stuff. So you, you kind of spread around. You, uh, yeah, I'm a bit of a polymath. <laughs> a dilettante, I think, a dilettante. is a better word. Okay. <laughs> um, well, we're very glad to have you on the show. And uh, second, off sitting off camera for those of you who are watching on the live feed is uh, an oldie but a goodie. Michael Hayslip is here. Indeed. Um, so, Michael, how, how are you doing today? How's, doing pretty good. How, how does it feel off uh, to the side of the frame there? I did no different than it would. I mean, I just can't see myself, uh, and that's well. not really that big a deal. Oh, okay. So. Well, that, that's good, actually. I think we could call that a virtue, maybe? Being invisible is a superpower. It, it yes, is. it is. Oh, my gosh. Yes, it is, but you guys can hear me, so it's okay. So you're not totally in- insensible? Not, I am not insensible. Yeah. I am capable of being sensed. And uh, not here on the show today for the first time in... in Ever? Since it, I, well... It's not the first time ever, but it's the first time in a while. Kevin Saunders, um, he was tied up with some uh, graduate school business, um, rehearsing for a play that either he's in or he's producing or directing or something. Um, so he was, he's doing an all-day rehearsal and won't be able to join us. Uh, we're very sad. But I, I kind of toyed around with the idea of just playing some sound clips of Kevin uh, in, his amps, <laughs> in his absence. So, you know, just occasionally if he, if he makes a comment. You can uh, just make, you can you just, know, you know. You're wrong. Yeah, use the, use the uh, disagree sound effects. And, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> or, no! <laughs> or I could, be, I could be really mean and, uh, and play only agreement, sort of like, you know, the interlocutor in a Socratic dialogue. It's kind of like, yes, of course. Exactly. <laughs> That's true. I've always um, wanted to have a student like that. <laughs> actually, Michael, you get pretty close. Uh, I do. Michael and I are actually in uh, Dr. Kurzer's uh, classical Greek philosophy class right now. Um, really enjoying it so far. Yes. Um, but Michael, you're you're pretty you're pretty verbose in class. You do occasionally pipe up with the mm-hmm. yes. Yes. As I you know process the information that Dr. Kurzer is giving us, and yeah. I'm like, okay, I get that. <laughs> Okay, I get that. So we are here today. Um, Dr. Kurzer has actually brought a topic to the show, which I think is a first for bad philosophy. Um, we tend to just sort of figure these things out as we go. Um, Dr. Kurzer, you're talking about integrity. Um, now I'm going to kick it over to you. Why don't you give us a little, like, uh, five-minute introduction to where you want to go with this discussion? 
The reason I wanted to talk about integrity is because of the bus. Uh, there's a bus going around campus, and, and it has the word integrity on it. It's mm. part of the um, Quality Enhancement uh, Ethics Initiative. And I started thinking about integrity, and I noticed that um, many people have said a lot of things about integrity, and they're not compatible. And so I wanted to figure out what integrity was. Now, there's a sense in which integrity is taken to mean honesty. And I'm looking for something other than that, because sometimes people mean something other than that. Mm. Um, sometimes integrity is thought to be uh, incompatible with morality. Um, Bernard Williams holds that view. Other times, people think that integrity is all of morality. Uh, so that seemed quite puzzling. So I'm looking for something which is as a sort of definition of integrity, which is different from honesty, which is compatible with morality, and which doesn't encompass all of the virtues or all of morality. It so it would be a, a, a piece of morality then? Yeah, it's got to be one virtue among many. Right. Hmm. And not somehow a mega virtue or compound virtue or okay. super duper virtue or something like that. Just one among many. Mm -hmm. And I think we can say a couple of things without controversy. We can say that it, it concerns important commitments. It's not about trivialities. It's about the kinds of things that reasonable people would take to be worth some sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And another thing we could say without controversy is that integrity concerns identity-conferring commitments. A uh, person of integrity uh, is, is somebody who will remain who he is or she is. Yeah, it has, it has kind of an air of, of like consistency, yeah. of you know, uh, sticking to your guns sort of idea. Right. So. I've never heard it put that way exactly, conferring of identity. Do you think it, it like... Well, think I think that the, the commitments that we're talking about mm -hmm. are the kinds of things that make you who you are. Because oh. you, you, are, you are your projects, and you're also your past, and you're also your character, and so on. But part of what you are is your projects. You're, you know, you asked me to introduce myself, and I started talking about what I do. Yeah. So part of who I am is, well, I'm a... I'm a daddy, and I'm a philosophy professor, and I'm a philosophy professor who specializes in ancient philosophy, and mm -hmm. um, I try to write science fiction. And those, you know, those you've, you've tried to write science fiction? Yeah. Doesn't, hasn't everybody? Um, I guess so. Okay. I, so. I did some fan fiction, but I, I'm just first rabbit trail of the show here. What, what, what kind of sci-fi have you written? Uh, I tried to get my daughter to start writing when she was 10 or 12 or something like that. Uh -huh. And so I um, wrote a little episode, like a page or less than a page, and I said, why don't you write the next episode? She did, and then I wrote one, and then she wrote one, and so we started writing this thing that turned into a novel. A collaborative sci-fi novel with your daughter. That right. is... Right. I, am, am I... Am I off base here, or is that awesome, Michael? That is pretty. <laughs> that was pretty sweet. It would be awesome if we published it. As it is, we well, haven't. So, even what, where did it? Where did this? Where did it go? Like, how, how did you? How did you start it out, and where did y'all take it? Um, they, they came at Jartor from all six sides at once, each wielding great and terrible magics. That's the first sentence. Um, anyway. Uh, Sci-fi or fantasy? This is sounding um, more, more fantasy. Well, both, actually. <laughs> okay. Um, sort of like Star Wars. Wizards from space. Mm -hmm. Yes, you might say that. 
wizards from space? Um, because the difference between fantasy and science fiction is really a perspective thing, right? Because mm -hmm. if, if you look at a technology that you don't understand, um, if it's far enough away from what you do understand, then it's going to look like magic. Somebody, who's famous for that saying? Because I know that gets attributed to, to someone back in the 1930s. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I think I came up with it. You came up with it, Michael? Okay. Yeah. So you have yeah. a time machine. Back, back when you were living in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. Okay. And I do have a time machine. Don't ask me to show it to you. Oh. oh maybe later. Would, maybe later. That would be an ethical dilemma, right? Like, if you showed people your time machine, then they would know that time machines exist. Yeah. And, and you got to... No, no, nobody listening to this show heard that. Ah, okay. Well, we're good with that. But anyway, so back to integrity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, here's, so here's my proposal mm -hmm. about what integrity should mean. Integrity is a kind of truthfulness. It's a, it's a virtue that consists in presenting yourself truthfully mm -hmm. uh, to other people, uh, creating a, a kind of accurate image of yourself in the eyes of other people and also in your own eyes. Uh, and what's it about? Well, it's about um, the kinds of things that people care about in other folks. So it's about your reputation, you might say. It's about honor or res respect that other people have for you. But it, you have to understand that truthfulness is more than just a way of speaking about yourself. It's a way of acting, a way of living, mm. um, a way of being, the existentialist might say. Um, it generally requires acting on one's commitments. You've got to not just have commitments that are important and identity conferring, but you have to express them both in word and in deed. You have to act on them. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's it. You see, that's, that's what, it. What's, what's interesting about my view about integrity is it's a kind of minimalist view because other people want to add all sorts of stuff to integrity, and I think they're wrong. Mm -hmm. So you would so. boil it down to just um, truthfulness? That's uh, it. Just truthfulness. Just truthfulness. Nothing, just, nothing else? Nothing else. Okay. So for instance, it's not honesty. Because so what's the difference between truthfulness and honesty? Well, a person who's honest is honest about a whole range of things. Mm -hmm. But a person who's truthful is truthful about things that concern his or her reputation. Okay. Might tell lies about nuclear physics. And moreover, a person who's truthful isn't always saying true things, because even about his or her reputation, because the idea is to present an accurate impression of yourself to, to other people. Mm. And sometimes the best way to do that is not to be truthful, because they might misunderstand if you told them the truth. Ah. <laughs> so, for instance, Take this kind of case. I have a, a kind of um, easily confused elderly uncle, and he wants to make sure it's very important to him that um, uh, that I vote Democratic in mm -hmm. each election. But this election, I, I couldn't because there was a confusion about the polling place, and I tried to get to the wrong place, and I just couldn't get around to voting mm -hmm. for so, practical reasons. For practical reasons, yeah. Uh, now, I could tell him all that, but if I do that, since he's sort of marginally paranoid and suspicious and so on, uh, he, won't, he won't quite buy it. Hmm. Uh, and he will come away with a false impression, which is that I'm 
no longer, you know, hardcore committed Democratic voter. Mm -hmm. So instead I just tell them I voted straight Democratic, which is a lie, but it presents accurately what uh, you still are. What I am. Yeah. Okay. So, but an honest person so he wouldn't do that. Would say, right. no, I didn't vote. Yeah, I'm going into this long story. Yeah. Anything that you would say would sound like trying to make an excuse or, you know, yes. dog ate my homework type of thing. Mm. Um, okay. Well, Michael, would you say that truthfulness is enough for integrity? Yes. Or is there something more? I think so. You think it's okay? I, I, I think so. Um, as long as when you're using um, falsity, as in the case of your uncle, you're doing it for his benefit. You're not out to harm him. You're not out to defraud him of anything. You're just, rather than just getting through that long, drawn-out discussion and, you know, exciting his, you know, paranoia or anything like that, you just tell him, yes, mm -hmm. I voted straight Democrat. Mm -hmm. In the sense of the word that it seems to be used, though, around campus is the idea of academic integrity. Mm -hmm. So... You know, it, I'm trying to apply the, the truthfulness thing to the question of academic integrity here. So it would be something like, if you present material, say, you know, you're writing a history paper. Michael. Like I was doing earlier today. Okay. And, you know, you find, you find some good data. You, f you find some really excellent, um, you know, interpretations of a certain time. You find something you want to use yes. in your paper. Um, I, I think the straightforward definition of, you know, a lack of academic integrity would be to take that put it in your paper and, you know, not put a citation there, not give any indication of where it came from, letting the reader assume that it just came out of your own head. So truthfulness in that sense would be presenting accurately what? The information? Uh, the source oh, of the information? source of the information. Because mm -hmm. if, if you plagiarize, as you were just describing, mm -hmm. what you're doing is presenting yourself in a false light. You're presenting yourself as if you knew this uh, or you came up with this idea. But in fact, that's just not true. Okay. So you're mis mispresenting yourself to others. Hmm. Uh, what what I would say on that is really, like, in most cases of plagiarism, I'm pretty sure most students are smart enough to know that, um, that uh, there are resources available to professors that can sniff out plagiarism. Hmm. And that most um, professors themselves um, know their material well enough and know where the student's at in the class to piece together, like, which part of their paper is actually written by them mm -hmm. and which part is like written by a professional historian. Mm -hmm. So what I think is um, the problem with uh, plagiarism is not so much that it is, um, I mean, it is dishonest, but I think the problem with it is that not that the student is attempting like to be maliciously dishonest, they're just being lazy. Like they don't want to do the work. Yeah, I mean, wh what about cases where, uh, what about cases where like, say, say going back to the uncle thing, what if you, in, not you intentionally don't don't vote, but you're just lazy. Like you, you know, you actually you would vote Democrat, but the polling station's like 20 miles away, and you know it's raining and it's inconvenient. And you don't want to stand in the line. And, and it's really cold outside. And so you know you just you just choose not to. But you would. You, you're a Democrat. You would have voted otherwise. Um, so you, then, you, are you still trustworthy if you lie and say that you voted? Or no, because then you see I'm mispresenting myself in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, I'm correctly presenting myself as a hardcore Democrat, mm -hmm. but I'm incorrectly presenting myself as not lazy. Ah, okay. So you so. just switch it. So in the in the laziness case for plagiarism, then, um, you know, you just copying the material and forgetting to put the citation, or you know, not rigorously going through and making sure everything is cited correctly. Or you're just you're like, I, or you're just out of time. Yeah. And you're like, I need to have something to turn in. As many students do, write 
papers the night before or the day of in right. the early morning. Right. Which I try um, not to forbid. do. Uh, Surely yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so in that case then, it, again, it's presenting yourself as not lazy. Yeah. I'm trying to come up with counterexamples here. Do, do you sure. happen to have any, any sure. obvious sure. objections to your position? Um, <laughs> well, um, let, let, me, let me sort of push on and, and suggest that a lot of people, when they talk about integrity, have some other big things in mind. Mm-hmm. They think, for instance, that your commitments have to be acquired authentically, because otherwise you don't have integrity. Mm-hmm. Like if you just get your commitments, uh, you kind of drift into them. You know, you're a Democrat because your mommy and daddy were Democrats, and you never really thought about it much. And you have certain religious beliefs, but you never really thought about those either. Mm-hmm. Um, you buy fashionable clothes, but you've never thought about, you know, you, you just have various commitments. Uh, you got married, but um, you kind of drifted into that too. You had this relationship, it was ongoing, there was a pregnancy, you decided the best solution was to get married, you know. You just kind of drift into things. Mm-hmm. Some people would say, that's, well, everybody I think would say that's inauthentic. Yeah. Um, some people would say that it's lacking of integrity, but I wouldn't. Okay. I would say uh, authenticity and inauthenticity are about how you acquire your commitments. Mm-hmm. Integrity is about how you present them. So you can be mm. perfectly inauthentic with integrity as long as you present yourself as inauthentic. <laughs> you know, you acknowledge, you know, you know I'm just not a, not a leader. I'm just a kind of follower. I just... Mm-hmm. You know, got my ideas from other people, and so on. And I think in certain situations, people who um, would look at authenticity as being part of um, integrity, when they say that you know I'm not a leader, I'm a follower, da, 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 when they make those admissions that they you know sort of just drift along, mm-hmm. they're appealing to integrity as well when they're doing that. Yeah. So people who are saying like on the one hand, you know, you have to be you know. All your commitments have to be authentic. Like, you know, if you got married, you have to, you just wanted to get married. It's, it's not enough right. that it just you happened. You were totally committed behind it, yeah. Right. It, it can't be it just happened. But, like, if you just met, yeah, yeah, I just sort of came along to it. <laughs> you to would, you would be appealing. Yeah, you, you'd be appealing to integrity. You would be saying, I'm having integrity because I'm being truthful about this. Hmm. So, you have sort of this dichotomy going on within individuals about certain things. About yeah. most things, I think. Well, it's, there are some puzzling things about this. I mean, one of the things that puzzled me is people, have, people get leadership classes in high school. Mm-hmm. Why? Most people are going to be followers. Yeah. Um, so why, are, why is everybody getting a leadership class? Is it because <laughs> we're, we're going to have a nation of leaders and no followers? Um, that's pretty bizarre. It's, but I think it's because it's misnamed. I mean... Um, the value that's trying to be captured there is authenticity. Mm. So we do think that authenticity is a good thing, and, uh, and I think so too. Although, if you actually think about what it takes to be authentic, it's very difficult. I mean, it would mean something like, okay, what our society does is it presents us with a menu of options mm-hmm. uh, about how to lead, lead a life. And being authentic would be either choosing off-menu or choosing one of the options that's presented to you, but because you've thought it through yourself and come to your own decision independently. And, and you could be sure that you did that. How? Um, Hegel only would definitely f- have some disagreements about that. Yeah. You could only be sure if you've first rejected everything. Right. And then come back to it. 
And even then, you couldn't be sure. Yeah, the Cartesian method of locking yourself in your closet. <laughs> yeah. Thinking about things. Yeah. So I'm, I, I think that authenticity is a very nice thing, but it just shouldn't be coupled with integrity. Okay. Except insofar as authentically presenting yourself. Well, present, authenticity, <laughs> authenticity isn't about how you present yourself. Uh, it's about how you acquire your commitments. Okay. Um, or take this kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Can, some people are neither authentic nor inauthentic. They've rejected the society's menu of options. I'm not part of this system, man. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The counterculture. <laughs> right? but, they ha- but they don't have any ideas of their own. They, don't, they haven't made any commitments mm-hmm. of their own. Nietzsche talks about this. He says uh, there's some people who are just camels. They accept everything. Mm-hmm. There's some people who are children. They come up, they're creative. But then there's people in between, and they're what he calls lions. They're people who say no to everything. <laughs> so th- they lack authenticity because they haven't got their own commitments, but, they la- but they're not inauthentic either. There's a lot of people like that, I think. Huh. And, but they can have integrity. They could say, you know, I think our society sucks. All the various aspects of it suck. I don't have anything better. Okay. I, I'm like that when it comes to politics sometimes. I think a lot of people are. Like, we you just, know, you, I, I hate the incumbent. But I can't think of something. Or I hate, I right. hate the, the current policy, or, but um, I can't think of or, anything um, better. Yeah. I just like the... Uh, I, I'm not sure if I dislike democracy itself, because I like having rights. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's pretty sweet. Rights are good. But um, at the same time, um, I dislike how a lot of policy decisions are made, because it's, it, it seems to me like most policy decisions are made either um, just uh, we have to get something passed like now is all it seems really rushed mm-hmm. with legislators not really legislating just you know reading not even reading they're just passing things no they, they delegate the reading right to, or to they quotes. or they just make decisions <laughs> yeah. based on what their particular constituents want which you know is 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 a good system in theory but the the problem with it becomes like um, you're doing things to con- the politician starts doing things to just keep getting elected each cycle. Mm-hmm. And not making real and not making policy decisions based on what the country might need, and those two things can be incompatible. Often they're not. Often they're not, which is why our government works. It works. Right. But at the same time, I mean, I would like there to be a better option. I don't have a better option though. I I have not done enough thinking on it. Um, I think it'd be really cool if like uh, Plato's Republic would actually work, but it, I don't think it would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we talked about rational anarchy, and I'm sure if Kevin were here, he would oh, defend totally. rational anarchy. But totally, I'm, I'm curious, Doctor Kurzer. Then, so what what would it, political integrity look like? I think it would just look um, look like truthfulness. Okay. Um, I mean, but where's the where's the added difference? You wanted to make it a, a role virtue. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. So, so you don't think integrity is a role virtue? Well, um, I think it's a role virtue as well as a regular virtue. Okay. Like courage is a regular virtue, and it's a role virtue for soldiers. Okay. Um, integrity, I think, is a regular virtue, and it's a role virtue for most folks. Okay. Um, with the exception of, for instance, secret agents. Ah. Because um, they're in the business of not presenting themselves <laughs> accurately. Right. So secret agents don't have integrity. Uh-huh. Um, and that's a good thing. It's a job requirement not to. Right. It's a job requirement. Uh, or superheroes with secret identities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but there are really rather few jobs, I think, that um, require you to lack integrity. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe CEO. Um, no, I don't think so. No. Really? Okay. Yeah. But um, uh, go ahead. What I would think of is, as far as a politician goes, 
would they be being truthful if they basically just admitted that um, I'm doing this because I'm on, I'm on a power trip? Would that be... Well, that would be that honest. Be, that, that would be honest. Okay, so you wouldn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, that would, th- that would be a truthful thing. Yes. And they should do that if that's really the truth. Right. Um, they were not going to get elected. Sure. But, that's, <laughs> right. but that's probably a good thing, too. It is probably So, good. I mean, there are several um, role virtues of a politician, I guess. One right. of them is truthfulness, and another is... Um, lacking that kind of desire for power. Right. But right. They, they all have it, don't right. they? I because mean, it, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be lacking, like, the presentation of that desire for power, or lacking honesty about that desire for power? Well, I'm not sure why you think they all have it. Um, aren't, aren't there politicians who seek power so as to do good for people? Okay, that's, that's fine. But, I'm, you know, generally, though, politicians who are open and out about they're, you know, even wanting power at all, whether it's for good or bad, are, te- are you know, tend to be kind of looked down upon. It's like, no, you know, aren't you supposed to be altruistic about this? Uh, you know, aren't you, don't you have no desires other than to, to serve the people, right? Um, so well, even, even if they were honest about it, people might just kind of, you know, la, 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 power corrupts, that's all I'm going to think about, sort of thing. So wouldn't it, wouldn't it be in a politician's best interest not to reveal their desire for power? Well, they're running for election, right? Okay. okay, so that's a kind of power. And then once they get in, they want to be able to accomplish things. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you need power to accomplish things. So I don't think that they would want to say, I would like to be a powerless politician. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> that's, yeah. that's just another way of saying loser. <laughs> <laughs> then people would be like, okay, I'll vote for the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think I know what you mean. There's a kind of bad power, a kind mm-hmm. of you know, um, illegitimate power, uh, power beyond what the office needs or wants. If they're truthful and they want that kind of power, they would say so and lose the election. What you want is a politician who doesn't want that kind of power and is truthful. Mm. Both. Okay. So, Michael, do you have any follow-up questions for this? I think think when it comes to political questions, um, especially like when it comes to whether or not politicians... um, are running because you know they want power. They need power. They should just go out, go ahead, and just admit that um, they want you know the attention, ambition, da 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 da, all that stuff. <laughs> um, attention. The um, yeah, my, me, apparently this rabbit trail is dead end. I mean, yeah. my, my, my <laughs> brain sometimes works like yours, <laughs> Doctor Cruiser. <laughs> <laughs> let, me put a, let me put another card on the table. Okay. Um, one of the things that people say about integrity is that it should have a kind of coherence, mm-hmm. uh, kind of unity. You know, they say things, for instance, like a work of art has integrity if it all fits together, all the parts work together, and so on. I think that's wrong. But that is a type of integrity, but structural it, integrity. But it's a kind of thing which people should not aspire to have. It's a vice. Okay. You, you don't want your life to fit together like that. What you want is to have a lot, of, a lot of commitments some of which conflict with each other. Your life should not be, because if you think about it, if you've got um, a whole bunch of commitments and they all fit together into a neat package, we have a name for that. We call it a monomaniac Hmm. or a fanatic or something like that. Uh, If you think about ordinary things, ordinary lives, they're complex and they're they're tragic in a certain way. They're they're tragic in the sense that you can't actualize all your commitments (coughs) fully effectively in the way that you'd want. Mm. You have a task of doing research and you have a task of doing teaching and you can't do a perfectly good job on either one of them because they get in each other's way. You have a kid and you have a job 
and you can't do a perfectly good job of child raising or um, professoring because each would take up your whole day. Mm -hmm. Now, that's the way your life should be. It should be filled with all, all these incompatible commitments. So you have to make compromises and trade-offs and, you know, there should be ambivalence in your life and there should be sorrow and tragedy because you can't get everything done that you want to get done. So it's, you're saying it should be that way because of a practical consideration? Like it's, it's not practically possible to just commit to one task? And it's also not desirable because there's a lot of different incommensurable conflicting values mm. that we ought to participate in. So those people who say that integrity ought to, a person with integrity ought to have a coherent life and not uh, have regrets or ambivalence or something like that, mm -hmm. they're just wrong. They're pushing for something which is a vice instead of a virtue. Now that's, a, that's I think, a kind of controversial claim. Yeah. Uh, the idea that you ought to be conflicted about your life. Because, I mean, a lot of people see that as, as the biggest shortcoming in life, is the fact that you can't actually multitask successfully. You can't actually be successful at multiple things simultaneously. And everyone wishes that they could just commit to one thing. I know you, uh, have, a, I know you have a desire to be, like, perfectly general. <laughs> Which is itself an oxymoron. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, I, I do run into this situation. Um, there's, there's a strength in, in... Have you heard of the Strengths Quest assessment? No. Okay. Well, we won't go into too much detail on it, but it's it is essentially the embodiment of the characteristic of of, uh, of the generalist. It's called input. Um, you have to be constantly getting information, different information, um, and lots of it. So, reading Wikipedia from dawn to dusk, well, yeah. um, and and that that in itself is is kind of a vice. Because mm -hmm. in the one sense, you're being a very good generalist. You're getting a lot of information from different places, but you can never get all the information. Um, you're a collector of pieces, right. but never of holes. You're, you're a dilettante if you're um, doing it in a kind of moderate way, and if you're obsessive about it, you've got knowledge acquisition disorder. <laughs> There's um, actually a name for that. No, I, well, <laughs> that was made up by a friend of mine. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, it's not in the DSM-4? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I think this comes up for all sorts of people. I mean... See, here's, here's a, a comment from the chat room from Kathleen. Multitasking reduces productivity. And it, we kind of tend to value productivity, right? We, you know, the ability to produce things, to make things, to complete projects. Right. Um, I mean, you were mentioning that you have the incomplete paper on the Protagoras. Is, is that a bad thing, necessarily? I mean, most people would say that's unproductive, but... Um, well, there's this trade-off. See, I think that we live in a tragic world. Mm -hmm. And so that means there are trade-offs. And this trade-off is a trade-off, you might say, between leading a full life and leading a productive life. Hmm. Um, you can do both to some degree, but if your life was less full, you'd be more productive. Yeah. Or if it was more productive, it would be less full. <laughs> like, you look at people like, uh, who accomplish enormous amounts um, of good for the world. Mother, mm -hmm. Mother Teresa, you know. She's not leading a full life. She's too focused. It's nice for us because she's getting all sorts of stuff done for the world, but it's sad for her. Mm -hmm. It's the tragedy of specialization. I mean, yes. I, I come, I've come up to this multiple times in my search for a career, and it's, it's always, well, you know, if you want to be an academic, you've got to hyper-specialize. You've got you to hone in on something and then hone in a little bit more and then hone in a little bit more until you've, mm. you've kind of painted yourself into this, this little bitty niche that nobody's painted before. Um, and then that's, 
you know, that's where you plant your flag and you, you kind of, that's your spot. Um, uh, yes, yet, you noticed on the counter example. Yes, and I, and I love it. Um, and it's kind of giving me some hope. Um, but, <laughs> you know, one might still argue that, the, you know, the most, the most productive academics are the most specialized. You know, those who don't kind of, you know, busy themselves with other, other projects and things that don't concern their field and, and sort of just focus on the one thing. You know, I don't know about that because actually there's a kind of cross-fertilization that happens when you're in, involved in several different fields. Mm -hmm. The guy who was my mentor as an undergraduate was leading a double life, and I always wanted to do that. Um, he was a philosophy professor, and he wrote about um, Collingwood, who's a philosopher, a little-known American philosopher. Okay. Uh, but he also was a James Joyce scholar. And mm -hmm. So there were people who knew him as a philosopher who had no idea that he was... A literary a, critic. A literary critic, and, and vice versa. So if you walked into his office, you know, there would be books on literary criticism on one wall and philosophy on the other. And I've always wanted to do that. I think that's an interesting goal, to hmm. have um, diverse interests and audiences and so on. Well, I, I guess I'm kind of starting out then. I've got uh, Kathleen is, is the perfect example of someone who knows both of, or two of my interests, um, sign language, signing songs. Um, and performing them and putting them on YouTube. Cool. Um, but I also do a philosophy podcast. How those fit together, um, I guess, Kathleen, you would know that better than I do because uh, I don't understand how you appreciate both. But th that, you know, so it can, sometimes it can cross over. But you wouldn't um, think of yourself as lacking integrity because you do these things. I guess I shouldn't. <laughs> um, well, I'm telling you, you yes. shouldn't. Okay. Uh, although some <clears throat> people would disagree. Hmm. So you know. So, so here's a controversial thing. Let's let's go back to. So what's your beef? What's your beef with the with the way the university has in, interpreted e integrity? What, and some of the additional things that have been added onto it. Well, the university really hasn't interpreted integrity at all. Oh. Um, and, and <laughs> that's that it matters. Yes. Okay. And, and that's that's partially my beef. Although I I, I think that. I don't really want to have a beef with the university. They're trying to start a conversation. So they put some ideas out there, some words out there. Well, apparently they've and succeeded. We are having this yeah. discussion We are having right this now. discussion. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to say they didn't, and then I'd be, you know, <laughs> I'd have egg on my face. Meta-false. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but here, let me put another card on the table, mm -hmm. um, another controversial claim. Some people think that integrity is about having unconditional commitments, mm. um, not being a compromiser you know, standing fast on at least a few things. There's some things you just wouldn't do no matter what. Yeah. Uh, you just don't want to have dirty hands. Um, no temptation or threat or anything like that would make you give in on these few points. I think that's wrong. Dirty hands are a good thing. <laughs> you, you, sh you, shouldn't, you shouldn't have unconditional commitments. You argued, I think, against uh, unconditional love, right, a few years ago? Probably. Yeah. Uh, that sounds like something I would say, yeah. Okay. And, and I found it a, a rather interesting argument, because you did argue against people like Mother Teresa and... Mm -hmm. Mandela. Mandela, sorry, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and so would you, do you consider, is, is, how does love relate to integrity? And how, like, if you can't have unconditional love, is, does it relate to why you can't have unconditional integrity? Sure. Love mm -hmm. is a commitment. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's more than a commitment, but it... Uh, the way in which it relates to integrity is that it is a commitment. So I say you shouldn't have any unconditional commitments, therefore you shouldn't have any unconditional loves. Because mm -hmm. what would an unconditional love be? 
it would be something like, I'm going to stand with you no matter what. Mm-hmm. Turns out you're a mass murderer, but I'm going to shield I you from the police. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm, that, that's what it would mean to mm-hmm. have an unconditional commitment to your beloved. And I don't think you should do that, because I think it's immoral. Um, see, this is how some people think that integrity and, and morality come into conflict. It's yeah. because they think of integrity as involving unconditional commitments. Right. But, you know, part of my objective, like I said, was to have a, a theory of integrity which, which makes it compatible, at least with morality, mm-hmm. more than right. compatible part of morality. Right. Couldn't you still love that person and still turn them in the, in the poli- into the police for what you did? Well, I guess you could, mm-hmm. but then... Because then we're talking about not an unconditional love, but right. a love which has little qualifications, like, right. I'll love you always, but I won't always be on your side, and right. I might do something right. which would be very much not in your interest. And, and, yeah. and I, would, I, would, I would definitely think that that would be a, a quality that you would want in a, in a marriage, would be someone that would love you, but still at the same time be willing to challenge you on things. Because I think one of, the, one of the key aspects in a marriage would be that... Um, your spouse, your significant other, challenges you to grow as a person. Yeah. Of course, you're, see, you're talking about very genteel, nice kinds of problems. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I am. Think I, about you know, people who make an unconditional commitment to love the other, and then they turn out to be in an abusive situation, and the right. other is beating them on, you know, on a regular basis yeah. every weekend and so on. But they say to themselves or to others, well, I made this unconditional commitment to love, so, so now death I'm stuck, do I part. Now I can't get out. And now I'm feeling guilty because I'm not fully committed to that person now because I have twinges of anger. Mm. And so now I need to go to my therapist or minister or whatever and, and deal with my guilt because it's my fault that I'm angry. Right. So my wife has patients like this. They come to her, you know, filled with self loathing. Mm-hmm because they're not able to keep their unconditional commitment to somebody who's a slime ball. Right. <laughs> so so I think that this is a, a good reason to not think that unconditional commitments are a good thing. Right. So um, Kathleen, again from the chat room, has, has kind of put it in terms of, she says, my feeling about integrity is having conviction, uh, defending your position. Yeah. So that you, would you say that that fits a little bit more with... Um, with your idea. That's page two. Okay. Um, so you, you have anticipated Dr. Kurzer, <laughs> Kathleen. Congratulations. Yeah, you get points. Yes. Um, there's Check a plus. philosopher named uh, Cheshire Calhoun who writes about this. She says, uh, um, she was a classmate of mine, actually. Hmm. So she, she says, um, commitments should be publicly expressed. Uh, integrity is about standing up for your commitments rather than keeping them secret or, um, you know, quietly going about your business. But rather, a person of integrity is somebody who sort of stands forth. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think she's wrong about that, too. Not that you shouldn't express your commitment sometimes. That's part of truthfulness, right? It's, um, presenting yourself truthfully is, is important. But I think that there are some occasions where expressing your commitments is counterproductive, in certain committee meetings, for instance, <laughs> standing up and expressing your view is just the wrong way to go about things. You'd be better off to just shut up and vote your conscience and not talk about it. Moreover, I think that if you think about people who are unable to stand up for their commitments, people who are you know, terminally shy or 
they're afraid of public criticism, mm. or um, they think that they think wrongly that if they um, just keep quiet, then other people are going to come around to their views on their own, which would be better. Um, those are people who have some deficiencies, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't want to say that what they lack is integrity. The shy person, for instance, it's not that it's a person who lacks integrity. It's a person who lacks, I don't know, self-confidence or something like mm -hmm. that. So I think that uh, public, the, the requirement that you publicly express your view all the time just isn't, isn't right, and, and people who lack it don't necessarily lack integrity. Okay. No, I don't know if, I, Kathleen, if that's what you were talking about. but um, that Sounds pretty close. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, I, I would think that like, for that person who, who does definitely have convictions that doesn't, you know, stand on a soapbox and expounds on them all the time, I, I really wouldn't think that'd be a, a good requirement either for integrity. Because hmm. you don't get much done that way. No, no of course not. I mean, um, <laughs> I believe this. But then you don't do anything about it and... You know, if if there weren't those those shy people, I mean, like, what what would get done? You know, there there'd be the people who'd be expounding on it, and then you'd have the people who follow those people. Those would be the ones who'd be, you know, behind the scenes, you know, trying to get that one person's vision of, you know, something accomplished. But that, of course, can have you know all sorts of positive and negative ramifications depending on who you're following. Yeah. This is also one reason, another reason why um, unconditional commitments are a bad thing. Yes. Um, People with unconditional commitments are not good people to have in a committee meeting <laughs> because you, you can't persuade them. Right. You yeah. need you need compromise in order to accomplish things in a committee meeting or in a government, for instance. Definitely. Um, I mean, so people with unconditional commitments, like like you see right now on the on the health care bill. Yes. Um, you've got some people on the extreme left who are not willing to compromise. Right. And you've got. Um, uh, pretty much all the Republicans, with the exception of um, Snow, who are <laughs> unwilling to compromise. And so as a consequence, there are serious problems in getting this bill right. um, done. And, and the people who are unwilling to compromise are not going to have their views represented. Right. Mm -hmm. And the, the sad thing, though, that I think, the saddest thing of all is the fact that like, almost if you talk to anybody, almost anybody would say, yeah, we need to do something about health care. Mm -hmm. I mean, they may be happy with their own insurance, privately, but at the same time, you know, they can see, you know, in some ways how, how things need to change. Nobody's happy with their insurance. Hmm. No. Nobody should. <laughs> I mean, you're paying twice as much as you need to pay because of the current system. Mm -hmm. Not twice as much, really, but, but quite a lot more. Again, we, we have kind of those that aren't, they're outside of the system, that, or they, they're a counterculture. They say, you know, well, everything's wrong, but... I can't provide any idea for what would be a good solution to the healthcare dilemma, for instance. And so I'm, I'm not going to compromise on anything because I think it all stinks. You know? Yeah, um, well, <laughs> that's not very helpful. No. <laughs> I think the people I'm talking about are not people who have no idea about what to do. Mm. They're people who have very different ideas about what to do. That do not want to, to meet halfway. Right. Because right. Yeah. the ones who have no idea what to do might just say, oh, okay, that sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about people, you know... Um, on the one side, people who say it's got to be a single-payer system, otherwise, forget it. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's people on the other side who say it's got to be private industry mm -hmm. uh, completely, yeah. um, or else no, forget it. No government in intervention whatsoever. Damn mm -hmm. Medicaid, Medicare. We should <laughs> we should stop those right now. Well, the, 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 the people who there are, are good arguments for stopping them. But um, 
Well, no, they're not. But, uh, but it is interesting to see that the people on the right who were actually trying to shut down Medicare are now posing as its defenders. Yes. Which I think is highly amusing. Mm. Oh, politics is, is endlessly amusing. Right, so we that's can, a lack of integrity, right, because they're not presenting themselves truthfully. Right, right. Right, right. and I, I think it's ridiculous that we, um, I always find it interesting that we, we often hold politicians to a higher standard than we hold ourselves. Ooh, yes. And I, I find it interesting that we think that because in a democracy, in theory, um, we're supposed to be ruling ourselves. So in a sense, I think, you know, we, we're, we're electing ourselves to power. And um, if you think about yourself, I mean, there would be a lot of times where, you know, um, in some instances, I'm kind of dishonest when it suits me. And, you know, we see politicians being dishonest when it suits them. Mm-hmm. And we get in a huge uproar about it. Um, but we're like, well, we're, we, would, we would do that. Right. I mean, we, we, get, we get angry at um, politicians who are, like, having affairs um, with various people. And then, you know the same people who are like saying, oh, that's terrible. How dare they do yeah. that? Again, it's double standard. Are the yeah. same people who at the same time are themselves in an extramarital affair. Mm-hmm. Often um, those who are most vocal about it are the I ones mean, seriously, <laughs> is, would that be yeah. a case of integrity then when we're saying, no, you have to be better. We don't have to be better. I think that's, I think that's kind of ridiculous that we do that. Of course, we're not explicitly saying that. We're not explicitly saying that, but, but it's definitely implied. Uh, be- because of the fact that we just we get in such a our, we get in such a dander about it, mm. it causes such an uproar when these scandals occur. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be an uproar, but at the same time, I think America should do some like self introspection and take a look and say, "All right, I'm saying this about this person who is who I have put in charge of you know some aspects mm-hmm. of." Uh, my government and of my place in it. Well, maybe, I just want to stop you here. Maybe that's the expectation, though. It's like that these people who are in positions of power have are, done that held to a, are held to a higher standard uh, be, because of their position. Like, again, going back to role virtue sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's okay for me to do it because I'm just, uh, you know, an average taxpayer. But, you know, for a politician to uh, to conduct an affair, I mean, that's that's not okay because they have bigger responsibilities than we do. But um, do you pay taxes? I have paid taxes. Cool. Yeah. Me too. Um, have not been in an affair, though. I, I can't say that, truthfully. I would be misrepresenting myself. I see. Um, but yes, I have, I have paid taxes. It's but I think what you're saying is right, that mm-hmm. um, politicians are in a certain role, and one of the role virtues is to be a role model. Mm-hmm. Right. And to be a role model is to uh, live up to a higher standard mm. in, in certain respects than the rest of us. So I think it is actually legitimate to say, well, I do X and Y, and I'm criticizing you for doing X and Y. <laughs> um, that's legitimate because, after all, they have a different job. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I, I mean, we, we might say that to a firefighter. We might say, you know, I don't run into burning buildings to save people. But <laughs> It's expected of you to do that. If you're a firefighter and you don't run into burning buildings to save people, then... That's a lack you know, of integrity. That's a, right. yeah. <laughs> but certainly I would think that um, if we are saying one thing and constantly doing another, I think that's, that's just plain hypocrisy. I think that I think that that, that, that is something that we ourselves, you know, we, that we need to change. I mean, I think the, uh, I don't know, I, I think um, the idea of having, um, like this, this campus conversation ethics is, is a good idea, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, I think, I think it'd be important that we'd have that and look at ourselves and try to improve ourselves on a moral level so that, you know, when some of us do become leaders one day, we will have that 
um, moral fiber. You for know. followers, right? Followers need moral I mean, fiber too. Yeah. True. You know, from the just from the like just exactly just from the ground up, just a change. Mm-hmm. You know, in um, our ethical proceedings, I think that'd be a very very good thing because then you know, we would actually get you know we have followers who will one day grow up and become leaders. Those who are just, leaders. I, I think it's okay, just good followers. Yeah, you definitely know, you have good followers too. If you have people who are going to stab you in the back um, for their own self interest, and you know. They'd be the people behind you who were <laughs> following you as you were leading the way. Yeah, right into your bed. No, no. Right. But, um, <laughs> no, I, I agree. I mean, it's, I think it, it is something that needs to be in every role. Like you said, it's, it's, a, it's a general virtue. Mm-hmm. But it, it also happens to be a role virtue as well. For, so. for almost all roles. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, except in the spy case and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, well, there's always exceptions. Yeah. Um, actors, too. Right. Yeah. What, what an actor does, presumably, is presents himself as. or herself as someone else. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so integrity is not something an actor should, should want. In that in that sense, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but I, I think it it's different from the spy example in the sense that the spy is doing it with the expectation that the person on the other end doesn't realize that they're mm-hmm. um, supposed that, that they're misrepresenting themselves. They're they're intentionally deceiving, whereas right. the actor is not deceiving not necessarily. To fool you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sometimes. Well, in one sense, although but, you know, I think that part of the. Part of the task of the actor is to suck you into the world and mm. get you to buy in and suspend your disbelief. And yeah. So insofar as the actor is trying to get you to suspend your disbelief, not presenting himself accurately. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you know, th- that's that's just a kind of special case. Well, we uh, we're coming up to the end of our time here on Bad Philosophy, so we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Dr. Kurzer. This has been an extremely good episode. Um, yes, it has. Very, very, as we say. Um, very F. We abbreviate the show BF because BP is taken by British Petroleum, so we just went for the phonetic uh, translation of the acronym. Very F. Um, that, that, that sounds somehow um, obscene and titillating, but um, <laughs> uh, and usually when I give students F, they're not pleased, but I'll, I'll be pleased to be thought to be F here. Yes, very, very F. Um, with a little bit of B sprinkled on top. A little bit, because you, you have to have the B, because the B, you know, makes it hilarious. I should have brought the clown hat. I, I knew it. Really, or the stuffed the animals. Just, yes. Just yeah. the rabbit. Just, like, just the bring in the monkeys that you're using for the Mino. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're so Wait floppy. till you see the symposium. Uh, I am excited. That's going to be good. I am excited. But anyways, we'll have to wrap it up here before Stickam cuts us off. Um, Michael, thank you as well for being on the show. Um, we we didn't have we didn't have Kevin, but I, I think yeah, I think I, we're okay I, with with that. I think you you did a good job uh, making up so. for the number two guy. I, I tried. Yeah, I tried certainly. I tried to find something that I can like. Oh, I sit here, say you're thinking like, okay, what can I d- disagree with Doctor Kurzer on? <laughs> think yourself into into the Kevin yes. mode. Yes, trying to. Yeah. Without well, the uh, bombast sprinkled on top. Yeah, right. Or the hat. Yeah. <laughs> or the facial hair. Yeah. Um, it's been a pleasure for me hosting it. Um, wrapping up, Dr. Kurzer, where can people um, go to find out more about you and uh, maybe read some of the papers you've published, uh, the work you've done? I have a website. I don't exactly know the title of it. If you go, oh. to, the, if you go to the Philosophy Department website, yes. uh, you can get from there to my own website. That's uh, philosophy.ttu.edu, I believe. And then uh, there's a, a people or faculty link on the right side somewhere, and then you'll you'll find his pretty picture on here. So I, I think he has a beard in that picture. Yeah, that's 
Yeah, so you think that's lacking integrity. I'm presenting myself as a bearded guy. Oh, and you don't have one. Don't that's have very, that's that's not very um, uh, integral, I, I, would that be the? Yeah. I prefer to think of myself as having a non-beard. Oh, okay. having a more positive uh, okay. I like that. Yeah. Right. Not like it's, I'm missing something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, you have, you're you have not beard. Man. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Michael, where can uh, people go to, to find out more about you or, or follow you? I really don't have anything by no. which people can follow he me. He has I, a Twitter account, but, but we, we're trying it. to encourage him to, to use it by plugging, getting him to plug it on the show. But, but I, I um, don't use it, so I'm, um, yeah. That's okay. Twitter.com slash Mayslip, M-H-A-Y-S-L-I-P. -S -S I mean, I'm, I'm terribly dull. I don't know why people would want to follow me. <laughs> Uh, you know, <laughs> leave it up to them. I suppose so. <laughs> you can follow me. I'm on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash s-torrents. That's S-T-O-R-R-E-N-C-E. And uh, you can follow the show at twitter.com slash badphilosophy. Please visit our store. We have a, a bunch of items you can buy, including the Viva La Quevolucion t-shirt. Um, Word. So, yeah, yeah. Get Word excited, indeed. people. Um, that's zazzle.com with two Zs slash badphilosophy. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time on Bad Philosophy. Bye-bye, guys. When they shoot poor Bobby down, you wrestle Sir Hand to the ground. Love your friends and miss them when they go. You know, you can, you can understand so much about Barbies once you realize that Ken is gay and he's in the closet. And if you look at his wardrobe, you can see that he's obviously gay. And now you understand why Barbie dresses the way she does. She keeps trying to get his attention. Right. And failing. Like getting, getting him to notice and Ken's yeah, just, exactly. you know, yeah, whatever. I mean, purple tuxedo land with sparkles on the shoes and yeah, all I guess that. so. You uh, know, it is, it is National Coming Out Day. Maybe Ken should come out today. I think so. Well, I think he probably did to Barbie because, you know, they broke up. Yeah, they, they did yeah, break up. Yeah. Oh. Whoever is she? Maybe maybe Barbie's going to become a lesbian then. Uh, I hear she's with some bad boy now though. Oh really? That's, that's, okay. I think that's. Ben. I I don't know, because I don't have any Barbie dolls or anything. No. I just hear this from various folks. You don't? I do not have any. I don't have. I I I'm not a daddy. I don't have a little girl. I, I got to tell you that you have something in store for you. It's really cool. You can learn some high level topology. Really? Okay. Yes. Trying to put clothes on Barbie. Yes. As, as if you have any women in your chat room, uh, they'll. <laughs> testified. Trying to put clothes on a Barbie is non-trivial. The real trick, you know, the, um, if, you can, if you can succeed at playing Barbies without popping the head off the Barbie in order to get the outfit on, right. then you have a good chance of being a topologist when you grow up. Mm -hmm. Wow. That is highly cool.